got the baby monitor on. I don't want them to see me, so they can just see y'all. How about that? They can see what's going on in the congregation. There you go. All right. Acts 2 and 38. Please listen as I read this. We have gone over this now for quite some time, and I think we're going to try to bury this thing today. Um, But listen to what it says in 2 and 38. Very contentious, controversial passage of Scripture, and uh, we are going to try to put away some of that today. Acts 2 and 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. Acts 2 and 38, this is part 3, and I'm going to try to end this this morning. I don't want to tarry too much longer on this passage, uh, but I will tell you that it is, it is very important that we understand baptism, that we understand justification, that we understand why Peter is telling them these things, why he tells them this in this chapter and then in the next chapter, in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, he leaves things out. And then in chapter 8 and chapter 10, we see different things are said as well. Is he contradicting himself? No, not at all. Let's look. The first sermon on Acts in 2 and 38, I preached, I told you that the Word of God cut them to the heart. And we see that in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ by Peter in Acts in chapter 2. He preached the Word of God. He preached. He preached boldly. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach it. And it pricked their heart or it cut them. It opened them up. It, it stabbed them in such a way that it left them wounded. It left them hurting. And it left them needing a remedy. And I told you that out of Jeremiah, we understand that the remedy that they needed was the balm of Gilead, which pointed to Jesus Christ. Always Jesus. Always, always, always Jesus. We understand that, right? He's the only one that can heal the sin-sick heart. The second sermon in Acts in chapter 2 and 38 we looked at was was, was baptismal regeneration. And if it was biblical, baptismal regeneration, is that biblical or is it not? We know that we are not saved by baptism. Baptismal regeneration teaches that faith plus that baptism or an outward submerging equals salvation and it's just not true. It just isn't. I read to you earlier just a moment ago that we are justified by faith or washed clean in other words by faith. We're not born again by baptism. This was the sermon last week and we used the gospels to teach us that. Primarily Luke. Salvation comes by repentance and faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Always has, always will. You say, what about the Old Testament saints? Well, always has, always will. We understand that Abraham, that the gospel was preached to Abraham before he was circumcised. 
which was an outward sign of the inward change, and that he believed in righteousness was accounted to Abraham because of belief in the promise that was to come. Primarily, Jesus Christ. We understand according to the Scriptures that Adam believed. We understand according to the Scriptures that Abel believed. And then we see from Seth on all the way to Noah and then all the way to Abraham that this pattern continued to follow. So do we expect it to change when we get into the Gospels? No, not at all. I taught you last week that it didn't change at all. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he also tells him what? Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we know that baptism, that outward sign, does not save us. Today we'll look at Luke's book of Acts. I'm just going to give you one example in Acts because there's really multiples. And I wanted to go through all of those situations, but they're narratives. And you've got to bring out all sorts of different things. And so I just want to choose one of those. And the reason why I'm going to choose it is because it follows exactly what he said in chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And we're going to look at the lame beggar. We must make sure Scripture lines up with Scripture. Right? We teach our children that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Right? It's always been that way. No matter how you slice it, how you cut it, whatever you do, 2 plus 2 always equals 4, not 6. Always. What's on one side is on the other, and it equals 4. Always has, always will. So when we see Christ Jesus enter into time before that and after that, we understand what is done there is the same. Those in the Old Testament looked forward by faith and repentance in the promise that was to come, those that are here now, we look back to the promise that had come, to the promise that did come and fulfill all those prophecies. We believe in that by faith and we are justified by the blood of Christ. So you see what's one side is on the other. Everybody follow. So why in the world would we think it would change just because of the new church age in Acts chapter 2 in verse 38? Well, the answer is is that it doesn't change. There are some things that we see that are a little bit different because something's fixing to take place that's never happened before. Can you imagine 8,000 people at one time praising and worshiping God? 8,000. The scripture teaches us just within the first four chapters, just in a couple of days, that 8,000 people were saved by looking to Christ. And that they were also baptized. We're going to look at that. We know that God's Word does not contradict itself. If you find a contradiction in it, you better look at yourself because that's where the contradiction is coming from. 
God's Word does not contradict itself. It is pure, it is perfect, it is holy. And so we've looked at the Old Testament, we've looked at the letters a little bit, we know what's being taught today, and it is still lining up with what was taught to the early church in Acts in chapter 2. There's not a difference. We're continuing on this same path. But we have to ask the question, does faith plus water, water baptism save us? And is this verse, Acts 2.38, a new concept? Is it a new concept? Before we go over that, let's look at some more things because I told you I'm going to wrap this up today. Before we move on, let's get some things squared away. Because these are the two ordinances of the church, the Lord's Supper and Baptism, it is very important that we understand them fully. Even for the visitors that are here this morning, I want you to understand what we believe as a church. Baptism pleases the Father, but doesn't save us. We understand it pleases the Father because we see it pleasing the Father when Christ Jesus was baptized, right? Jesus was baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was perfect, but in order that he would come and to lay down his life, he still needed to be baptized, to be obedient to the Father, to lay a path for us, to show his death, burial, and resurrection, and what, it, what he would do for us. And thereby we identify ourselves with that, with him. Jesus told us that we were to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And we know that that baptism comes after saving faith has been applied to the heart, after salvation. Baptism comes after. Always has, always will. We know that baptism was given to the church as an ordinance to be practiced so that the candidate could publicly profess the washing and regenerating work of the Spirit that has already taken place in the heart. It's an inward washing, an inward washing, and then baptism is the outward sign of that. And finally, we know baptism is to be done with complete submersion. Or immersion. For the word baptizo is to immerse or to fully plunge into. The idea in the New Testament was to plunge a garment into something to dye it. To put it all the way under to fully dye that garment a color. Or to wash it. Washing of clothes, dyeing of garments, not sprinkled or not poured over. And let's take that for just a moment and run with it because I'm thankful this morning, I'm thankful this morning that my dirty clothes and my children's dirty socks and dirty undergarments are not sprinkled or are not poured over. I'm thankful that they are fully submerged. Why? Because the Merle household would be a very stinky place if they were not. 
Yes or no? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy, but it's the truth. Everybody's undergarments stink if they're not washed. Yes or no? Okay, so what happens? Are we going to sprinkle them to cleanse them? Are we going to pour water over them to cleanse them? No, we're going to fully submerge them. We're going to put that bad boy on agitate, and it's going to go around doing this. Why? Because we want the filth and the stink and the stain and all of that stuff gone. We want it all gone. This is the idea with plunging garments. That's where we get the word from. The Merle household needs their clothes fully plunged, (laughs) fully submerged. As a matter of fact, I looked at the washing machine last night and it was set on high. That means high level. That means plenty of water. You understand what I'm telling you. The idea is for there to be a full and complete washing The garment must be fully submerged. So we see this is a picture of Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Plain and simple. Christ was not partially submerged, was he, into death? Did he partially take on death? Nope, he did not. He was not partially submerged, and I've told this to the church before. He wasn't partially submerged into death. He was not partially buried, nor did he only, or did only a portion of him partially raise from the dead. No, it was full and it was complete. He fully died to wash us clean. He was fully buried to wash us clean, and he fully rose again to wash us clean. Do we understand that? There was complete death, complete burial, and a complete resurrection from our Lord. He was fully submerged into death so that we could be justified. Plain and simple. Christ's work was full and complete to remove the worst of the worst stains. The heart of man is wicked. It is evil above all else. I don't even understand my own heart half the time. How it flip-flops. And even though I have faith, my mind wanders. And even though I have faith, things creep in. Yes or no? Okay. Christ came to remove the worst of the worst of the worst of all our sins. And he did that by fully dying. Baptism shows that. It's not a partial sprinkling. It's not a partial pouring on. But it is a full Submersion to show what Christ has fully done. And this only takes place by faith in Him. Righteousness was accredited to Abraham when he believed by faith. Before the law was given, before circumcision was given, 
Abraham believed by faith and he was justified. The outward symbol that was used then was that of circumcision. To identify him and his people as a people set apart for the glory of God. So it comes after salvation, not before. And it's done to profess to the world, I belong to Jesus, he has washed me clean, right? Question, is Acts 2.38 a new concept? Is this foreign to the people? Do the people in Acts 2.38 understand what Peter is telling them? Is this a new concept? Is this something that they've, they've never heard before that they're looking at like, what? Or do they, when they hear what Peter tells them, do they say, oh yeah, we get that? Well, let's look at it. Pretty simple. First thing he says is to repent. Is this a new concept? No. We see it from the garden. By faith, Abraham, or by faith, Adam, by faith, actually we go straight to Abel. By faith, Abel offered up a more pleasing sacrifice unto the Lord by faith. He did that. Why did he do that? Because it was shown to him by his father who was in the garden who originally sinned. Judgment was passed on him. God came down and showed how to come back into the father's presence. And that was only through the blood of the sacrifice that was passed on to Abel. Abel offered up that sacrifice so he could come stand before the father justified so he could come and praise the father. This is not a new concept. Repentance is not a new concept. It means to turn away from. To turn. To turn. This is not new, so they would have known what that meant. To be baptized was not new either, even in the Old Testament. There was constant washings and constant, and I will say this, sprinklings. Constantly. All the way through the Old Covenant, there was constant washings by the priests, constant washings by the people. Because the Lord wanted His people separated, sanctified, set apart. Then we have the three years there of baptisms that took place in the Gospels. The baptizer comes on the scene and he is baptizing droves of people in the wilderness, in the desert. Why? Because there was much water out there. But he was also preparing the way for the Messiah. So baptism is not new for the people. In the name of Jesus Christ. Was this new for the people? Nope. This wasn't new either. Why? Because Jesus had been preaching and teaching and performing miracles and doing all of these things for the time that he was on this earth for the three years that he started his public ministry. He was a household name. Everybody talked about him. Everybody talked about him. They either liked him, loved him, lumped him, didn't like him, or didn't care. But I promise you one thing, any man that can make another man's arm grow out out of nothing, it's going to be talked about and everybody's going to know about it. So, in the name of Jesus Christ, this was not foreign to them either. 
And he says this because he wants them, when they are baptized, to identify themselves with the one that they crucified. Then we move on. Is the fourth concept is this foreign to them for the forgiveness of sins. Surely forgiveness of sins is not a new concept. For in the garden sin came. Right? And it infected the whole human race from that point on. Deborah and I were on the phone the other day and I told her, I said, Yeah, if Adam, if Adam and Eve just wouldn't have done that in the garden, she said, Yeah, I know it. She said, we'd have done so much better. And I said, yeah, we sure would have, wouldn't we? And I said, nope, we wouldn't have. We'd have done just as bad, if not worse. Because you got to remember, they were in a pure state. We, on the other hand, are not. So we know that in the name of Jesus, we know that for the forgiveness of sins, these are not new concepts. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, everywhere. And the fifth thing that he tells them is the Holy Spirit, is for the, that the Holy Spirit would come. That you would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That he would take up residence with you, that he would abide with you. Is this a new concept? No and yes. No, because the Holy Spirit was prophesied about. The Holy Spirit was talked about. The Holy Spirit was taught on. This third person of the Trinity is not a new concept. For He was with the Father and the Son before the beginning. He moved upon the face of the deep, upon the face of the waters in the first couple of verses of the Bible. The Holy Spirit was not a new concept. But yet, what's fixing to happen is somewhat of a new concept because the Holy Spirit was about to be poured out to the point that nobody had ever seen it before like this. We're fixing to have this mass pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And it moved. It it moved to the Old Testament. This Holy Spirit, it was prophesied about. But here in the New Testament, it's going to be poured out in abundance in the early church. The first sermon Peter preached here in Acts chapter 2, we see in 41, so those who received his word... You see that? Who received his word they heard and they were cut to the heart all the way up there in verse 37. And then he gives them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in 38. And then in verse 41 it says, so these who received his word were baptized. They received the preaching of the word of God by Peter. They received it by ears and eyes and a heart of faith and were saved and the spirit of God was poured out among the people as a matter of fact 3,000 were saved and added to the church that day 3,000 so yes this was something new in the fact that it was an extreme outpouring of the spirit of God But the Spirit had always been there. Always. 
Not too many hours after that, 5,000 were saved. The regenerating work of the Spirit was about to turn the world and already beginning to turn the world upside down in Acts in chapter 2. What do we mean by that? Signs, wonders, miracles, speaking in tongues. And we've already looked at what that was there in Acts 2, speaking in other languages. That is very clear from the text. You cannot get anything else from the text in Acts chapter 2, but speaking in other languages. And that lines up with the Old Testament because the languages were divided in Genesis in chapter 11. And now here the Lord is using the very same instrument that kept the people disobedient. Now He's going to use the very same instrument to bring them back together. So now they can all understand the gospel and the gospel can then be spread throughout the entire world through Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So yeah, man, this was an exciting time. This was a time that it just was awesome. But in all of this, it still stands that faith came by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And in that faith they stood justified. Acts chapter 3. Turn there with me if you can. I'm going to try to make this pretty quick. I, I want to wrap this up I want to give you one I'm just one example and we'll talk about it tonight we'll go into uh, the Acts of the Apostles a little bit later tonight at 5 o'clock but I just want to give you one example where Peter preaches 5,000 are saved but his words are different one example Acts chapter 3, we're going to begin there in verse 11. Peter had just healed a man, Peter and John. They, had, they were going up into the temple and they had just healed a man and he jumped up to his feet by faith and, and he was healed. I mean, this man was, had, been a, had been lame for years, his whole life. And he tells him to get up by faith and he gets up and then in verse 11, this is what it says. This man... That was healed. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Now he's preaching. This healing of this lame man gives him an opportunity for a congregation to come together. Now he's preaching. Now he's laying to these people's charge the fact that they murdered the Son of God. Listen to what he says. Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Remember Barabbas. 
And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. (laughs) I love how Peter put things. You acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, here we have the Old Testament coming in. Here we have the Old Testament coming in. Peter is preaching and he is bringing out the Old Testament because that was all they had. And what does he say about the Old Testament? But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. In verse 19, then Peter tells them this, Repent, therefore, and be baptized. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Here we see them being justified by turning, by faith. It's called repentance. Let's move on, and I want to read the rest of this because I want us to see that just because baptism isn't mentioned doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Let's move on. Listen to what it says. That the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people and all the prophets prophets who have spoken from Samuel here he is he's bringing out the old testament and all the prophets that spoke have spoken from Samuel and those who have come after him also proclaimed these days. So the message continued to stay true. The plumb line continued to be walked by, by the early, by the prophets, by all of these people in the Old Testament. And now Peter is continuing to preach the same thing. Repentance and faith for salvation. Justification, not by works, but faith in the risen and living Christ. Listen to what he says in 25. You are the sons of the prophets of the covenant that God made with your father saying to Abraham in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed why because out of the out of the lineage of Abraham out of the lineage of Isaac out of the lineage of Jacob out of the lineage of Judah would the Christ come God having raised up his servants sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain. Now remember what happened in 19. He tells them to repent and to turn back. But we're going to get the rest of the story here in just a moment. Listen to what it says and I'll be done. Listen, just pay attention. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests, these were the, uh, they were the, these were the haves, the habits. They had it. They were the priests, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Pharisees. These were the chiefs. The haves, the spiritual halves. Listen to what they said. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They didn't like that. 
So what did they do? They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already the evening. Oh, but let me tell you something. See, the thing is, is you can't stop the Spirit of God from moving. You just can't. Once it's preached, it's preached. Once he moves, he moves. Peter preached to them and told them to repent. And so this is weighing heavy on them. But listen to what happens. I love this. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word, did you hear that? Who had heard the word, believed. What is belief? Trusting in Christ by faith. This is, this is what's happening. They believed. And the number, and by the way, they were saved when they believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, how in the world, let's talk about that for just a second before we move on. Baptism is not mentioned, but we know that it took place. How in the world did baptism happen to 5,000 people? Well, first we have to ask the question, how did they identify those 5,000 people? How did they identify them? They had to make some type of confession. They had to make some type of profession, right? In Acts in chapter 2, what happened? How were they added to the church? How were they identified? They were baptized. How were they baptized? They were submerged. And there was added to the church 3,000 in one day. And even though Peter doesn't say it in Acts in chapter 4, we understand that 5,000 was then added to the church on this day. How were they added? Well, could they just walk around and see that they were, see that they were saved? No. doesn't work that way. Baptism is a public profession of faith. A public profession of faith. They had been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, but the only way for them to know that there was 5,000, for those 5,000 to speak up and to say, I have been saved. I am ready to go into the baptismal waters to show what Jesus has done for me. See, then it would cost them their life. And so even though Peter doesn't say here that they were baptized, we know that they were because there was added then 5,000. There was a record took, an account taken here in this text. So just because Peter doesn't say it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But we understand from this passage in chapter 3 and this passage in chapter 4, he told them to repent They heard it, and then they believed. Rendering them justified. How did they show this? How was the account taken? They showed it through baptism. Through submersion. Plain and simple. Let's move on. So what is our great profession of faith? Is it just coming and standing before the church? I've told you that talk is cheap, right? 
Oh, man, it is. It is. A lot of people can do that. Talk is cheap. But it's something totally different to say, you know what? I'm going to identify myself with the risen Savior. I'm going to be buried and the old man is going to be left. I'm going to be buried with Christ and rise with Him. And I'm going to show that through baptism. So we conclude that salvation is a gift of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. Lest anyone should boast. We are justified by faith, not baptism. Scripture is crystal clear on this. Does that, however, negate the fact that we still need to be baptized? We still need baptism. It's clear. It's clear. The Scripture teaches us this. Not for salvation, but to show it. To show it to the world. That's how these people were added to the church. They publicly displayed it through baptism. As I finish up, I just want you to to know um, my plan was to have one more sermon on this in the letters that Paul and Peter gave to the church, to the churches, to further prove my point. But honestly, I'm tired of beating a dead horse because the proof is more than adequate. That baptism doesn't save, but rather shows the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ on the inside. And so I want to go ahead and put this to bed. I'm going to give you two verses that I want you to look at very quickly. We've got about five, ten minutes left, and I try to, I try to be cautious of the time. But let's go ahead and look at two passages of Scripture, and then I've got something special that I want to read to you that I think that you'll find really, really neat. At, uh, Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, I read it earlier. Like I said, I want to go ahead and put this to rest because if I, if I preach too much out of the book of Acts that we're going through, then I'll have no narratives to preach on later. So, so I want to try to space those out some. Um, and we have ample proof in the letters. I mean, there's so many. We could go on and on and on. Literally, I mean, there's just, it's all over the New Testament. Romans 3, 21 through 25. Listen to this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified... Listen to this. And are justified by His grace as a gift, that's on His part, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that's on His part, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, that's on His part, to be received by faith. That is on our part. So we clearly see, clearly, clearly see that salvation... Salvation comes from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me now to the book of Galatians. I told you that the entire book of Galatians 
tells us and teaches us this doctrine, and it is true. Galatians in chapter 2, I'm going to read one verse out of that because I don't feel that it is necessary to read all of it. I mean, the title by, uh, in chapter 3 is, By Faith or by works of the law. And so, so you see that the whole book of Galatians is about this. And we're going to look at just one verse because I think that it will go ahead and lay this issue to bed. That salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in verse 16, Galatians 2 and 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works, by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. What does justified mean? Just as if you had never sinned. And I know that's kind of cheesy, but it's true. It's just as if you had never sinned. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. By the workings of the law, by the workings of anything outside of grace and faith in Christ is the workings of the law. So we know that no man is justified by anything outside of that. It's only by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. Least anyone should boast. Salvation and the Spirit of God take up residency with us when we believe by faith. After hearing the Word preached, baptism comes next to show that salvation has taken place. Everybody follow. Everybody understand. We're going to lay this to rest, but before I do that, I'm going to read you an article out of the Baptist message, which I don't normally read. But there is a very good article here that I would like for you to read, and I want you to hear it. 99-year-old World War II veteran completes mission. Slidell, Louisiana. Wilbert Terry, 99, successfully completed numerous missions as a World War II veteran. But the one he said none of those compared to the assignment he undertook to be obedient through believer's baptism with the help of the congregation of North Shore Church, Slidell. And there it says by his side that we're helping him because he's 99, he can't do it. A retired firefighter was helping him, a police officer, a former law enforcement officer, and a U.S. Coast Guard veteran picked up the wheelchair-bound Terry and placed him in the baptistry while Pastor Larry McEwen baptized him during the July 31st service. Terry, a U.S. Army veteran who was part of battles in Europe and the Pacific, had surrendered his life to Christ when he was 15. But he was only sprinkled as a member of a Methodist church. When he started attending North Shore Church several years ago, Terry learned of his need to become baptized through immersion, but health, but health concerns delayed his baptism. For more than a year until Terry finally celebrated alongside friends and family on a day when four others were baptized, 
It felt good because, he says this, it felt good because when I think of all the Lord has done for me, and importantly dying for me, I have to live for him. Terry told the Baptist message, to God be the glory. I'd love to see everyone come to Christ. The pastor McEwen believes God protected Terry in World War II so that he could share the hope of Jesus with others. He knows the good Lord got him home from the battlefield and all the time since was a gift from God. McEwen said painting that picture of a new life in Christ through baptism is something he has wanted to do for a while. He wanted to honor the Lord for the way he saved his life, not only spiritually but also physically on the battlefield. Hear this hardened soldier, this World War II veteran at 99 years old was convicted that he needed to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. He said, I knew I was saved at 15, but I was sprinkled. He said, I knew that I needed to be baptized. So we see the significance for baptism. Does it save you? No, it doesn't. But does it show us obedience to the Father, to the Son, to the Spirit? Absolutely. Does it show us what the Lord has done for us? Absolutely, without a doubt. And it also shows the world what the Lord has done for us. It is our great profession of faith. So I challenge you today that if you have been saved and have never been baptized after you were saved I challenge you to come this morning and let it be known we'll teach on it we'll go through classes on it together and I'll let you understand even more and we'll go through examples and and make sure that you're discipled properly before that takes place. But baptism is extremely important. Extremely important for the child of God that is trying to follow Jesus by faith. Everybody got it? Well, on the same page? All right, let's pray.